Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Oh, good morning, everybody. I've also been gone for a couple of weeks, and uh, I missed you guys. It's good to be back. This is the best church around, man. I'm glad to be back. So let me ask you a question. I know we don't flip the channels as much as we used to because everything is on demand right now, but there's still some channel surfing in your house, I'm sure. So let me ask you, when you're flipping the channels at home, what are some of the movies that when you come across that movie, that's it, you're watching it? Star Wars, Wars, that's a good one. What else? Princess Bride, that's a good one, as you wish. Harry Potter, sure. Top Gun, that is a great one, absolutely. Gross Point Blank, Blank, not a good movie, but that's, oh wow, he's so mad, you should see his face. It's a good movie, it's a good movie. It's no Top Gun though. I heard they're making a sequel. Yeah. Right? It's it's one of those movies that like, you're flipping the channel and you you look at the clock because you realize, not only am I watching this, I'm watching it to the end, I'm gonna be tired at work tomorrow, right? For me, one of those movies, actually a trilogy of movies, would be Back to the Future, okay? Right? If these movies are on, I'm watching it. I'm going to watch it to the end. Each movie has its own kind of, you know, endearing qualities. The second movie, in many ways, is the most unique and creative because in the second movie, they go back into the first movie. So the second Back to the Future is largely about the first Back to the Future, and Marty has to go back in time for the second time and occasionally even interact with himself. So it's a movie about a movie. And I sort of feel that way today because honestly, this is going to be a sermon about sermons. We've never done this before, but I actually want to take our time today to talk about why we preach the Bible, why we preach it the way that we do, the goals that we have for our time that we spend in the Bible each week, and some of the things that we each can be bringing to the table to make this time the most effective. Now, Robert is not here today, our lead pastor. He's away. This week was he and his wife's 26th wedding anniversary. That's right, 26 years. He's a lot older than you thought he was. Um, Cheryl was only 12 when they got married. So that's really good news. So it's, it's kind of unique for us, actually, because we get to talk about sermons and what our goal is for this time when Robert really isn't here. And so, you know, we're not going to talk about him exactly, but it does give us some unique opportunities along the way. So we're going to take advantage of that as well. And so we always look to the Bible. So why don't you turn in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 17. Ephesians is a letter written by St. Paul to the collected church at a town called Ephesus. And Ephesus is a town that I think you can connect with quite a bit. Ephesus was an important place 
First of all, from a business and economic perspective, it was a wealthy city. It was a port city with direct access to the Mediterranean Sea. And also on one of the most popular north and south land-based trade routes. So if you had something to sell, it was a great place to get your goods into and out of. So business-wise, they did very well. From a governmental perspective, Caesar Augustus, who's mentioned in the Bible, Caesar Augustus had made Ephesus the capital of what's called proconsular Asia, which really just means it's like a regional capital. So it had governmental uh, officials and offices in it. And it was also a center for pagan religious worship. There was a temple there in Ephesus to a goddess named Diana in this Roman mythology. And this temple was so beautiful and intricate, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so Paul went to Ephesus more than once. And if if you read Acts 19, he actually talks about when he interacted specifically with this temple, with Diana, with her followers. He sort of made fun of them for making their own statue and then worshiping a statue that they just had made. That led to a whole little riot, kind of funny stuff. And so, you know, Paul had been there before. So these, this is the audience. It's a group of people in a very well-connected city, financially, governmentally, and religiously. And he wrote to them these words, starting in verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So Paul started by saying, I keep asking. This is his prayer for them over and over in an ongoing kind of continual basis. It's not a one-time request of God. He said he continually is asking that they would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And the NIV, most of you are reading it, said the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So you're saying, does he mean the Holy Spirit? He's praying that the Holy Spirit would come on this town. Is the Holy Spirit somehow separate? No, that's not what he means. If you read the first part of Ephesians, he's talking about how the Holy Spirit has already empowered these people. And he's talking about a a sense, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. You probably have a text note in your NIV that says, or a spirit. And many of the other translators, they pick this up as well. Because this sense, a spirit of wisdom and revelation, is a very specific phrase. And he's talking about the scripture. See, the wisdom literature that they would have had access to is parts of our Old Testament that we have today. Books like Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, parts of Job as well, are wisdom. That It's poetry as well, but it's the, the literature of wisdom that they would have access to. He's saying, I pray that you would have this spirit of wisdom and revelation in your life so that, that's the key word. He says, so You may know him, that's the person of Christ, and you would know the hope he has called you to. So in the beginning of his book, when Paul is laying out everything that is important to the collected church in the town of Ephesus, he says, my ongoing continual prayer for you is that you have this sense of wisdom and revelation coming from the scriptures so that you can know Jesus 
and know the hope that he has given you. And then Paul laid out this list of just seven different ways that he's describing the hope that the Ephesians have in the person of Christ through access in the scriptures. And they would apply to us as well. The first thing he told them, you'll have the riches of a glorious inheritance. He's using financial language in a very cosmopolitan, commercial-type city. He's saying the hope that you have in Christ is riches. It's glorious inheritance. Then he says it's incomparably great power. You know, you think your city is powerful. You are the capital of your region. You have direct access through your, you know, proconsular rulers into, you know, the emperor himself. No, no, no. Jesus and his hope is incomparably great power. He follows that up with saying it's mighty strength along those same lines. And then he says, because Jesus was raised to God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And he said this specifically because the goddess Diana, she, in their mythology, was the queen or the second in command of the spiritual world. So he's saying, you think Diana in her temple is the queen of all of the heavenly realms. No, 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 it's Jesus Christ who's sitting at the right hand of the Father. They rule the heavenly realms. And that's why the fifth one is he's far above all rule and all authority. Far above every name that is invoked, every ruler, every person you can think of, not just now in the present age, but also in the future. So Paul in his book is saying to them and therefore to us, my prayer for you is that you find the person of Christ through wisdom and revelation to have that incredible, incomparable hope in you. And how can we know that hope? How can we have access to him? The knowledge of God is possible because God has bridged the gap between himself and mankind. God has chosen to reveal himself to us. We don't have to wonder what God is like because he is demonstrating it to us. Now, we'll never completely, fully understand God. I think we all know that. But God has revealed so much about who he is to us in a few different ways. One way that you, you, you may not have thought of, but it's definitely true, is there's, first, there's a general revelation of who God is through his creation that surrounds us. Through what God has made, we begin to understand more about who he is. While I was away these past couple of weeks, one of those weeks we spent in Yosemite National Park in Northern California. My opinion, it's one of the most beautiful places in all the earth. Because of where I grew up, I've probably been there 10 or 15 times. Every time I go, it amazes me even more. We bring people with us. We tell them, you're going to love it. And I always get nervous. because I'm like, what if I oversold it? But no. They come and they say, this it's one of the most beautiful places they've ever seen. And I know that when you're standing in a place like that, when you're seeing what God has made as it surrounds you, you're understanding more about who God is, understanding more about his beauty, his power, his strength. But God has gone so much further than that general revelation of creation. He has the specific revelation of his scripture. The Bible is given to us so that we can have access to God. And so we have the utmost respect and reverence for his word because that is how we find and we have access to the person of Christ. 
We see what God has said about himself. We see what God has done in the lives of his people. We see the words of Jesus recorded. We understand that Jesus was given for us. All of this through access in his word. Now, there's a few things I want to make sure you understand about the Bible, and we're going to go through these quickly, not with a lot of depth, but it's something that if you're a note taker, you definitely want to write down these three things. There's three doctrines that I want you to know about the Bible. Yes, we're allowed to say doctrine. It's a sermon, okay? First one is the doctrine of inspiration. The, I, the Bible is inspired by God. He inspired the writers to write it. Bible is 66 books, about 40 different authors. It spans a period of about 2,500 years of recorded history. But with these 40 different authors, you know, 2,500 years, there's a beautiful consistency and clarity and one message throughout because each writer was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote. It's not simply their opinions. It's not the teachings of wise people. It is the collected, recorded words of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, we're looking at the book of Ephesians, which was written down by St. Paul, as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it. Many of the books, we know exactly who wrote them. Some of them, we don't. Some of them, we just know that they're God's word because the faith community in which they were immersed understood that it was God's word as it was presented to them. That's some of the, especially some of the old books. So God would inspire them to write these words. Second is the doctrine of inerrancy. The Bible is written without error. That when you understand the culture and the means of communication that had developed in view of the purposes for which it was written, understanding its genre, you know that the Bible is fully truthful in all that it affirms. Now, an important thing to understand about the inerrancy of Scripture is the Bible as a, as a group of collected literature. Bible actually means library. It's a collected group of literature. There's a lot of different kinds of literature in the Bible. And if you took my Bible class, you know that we talk about this tons, okay? There are historic books. There are, uh, po there's poetry. There is wisdom. There are gospels, which records Jesus' life. There are epistles, which is what we're teaching today, which is letters written by church leaders. These are all different types of literature, and they have different characteristics. And so starting to understand what you know, genre you're dealing with is how you start to understand what the Scripture is saying to you. So, you know, for example, if you're reading a verse and it says, you know, so-and-so is speaking and a sword of fire came out of their mouth. Is that literal? Probably not, but that would depend entirely on the genre of the book that you're in. And so a lot of the times when people start to talk about, what about the contradictions in the scripture? You're saying the scripture has no mistakes, but I heard on the internet there's contradictions in the Bible. A couple of things about that. First of all, there's not very many contradictions. This is kind of one of those rumors that people like to start. And a lot of them are things like this. There's one battle in the Old Testament that in Kings it says there were 17,000 troops. In the Chronicles it says there were 70,000 troops. Well, which one is it? Is it 17,000 or is it 70,000? I have no idea. But as you start to study some of these contradictions, what you'll often find is that you realize, you know, I don't have all of the information this is all that the authors chose to record. And I'm confident that if I was able to have access to more information, 
that I would be able to reconcile these two accounts. And for now, it just has to exist in tension because we can't quite figure it out. And besides, let me ask you, now that I've revealed to you this blazing contradiction of 17,000 troops versus 70,000 troops, how much was your faith shaken? A lot of the contradictions are of this flavor. So don't worry too much about that. The doctrine of inerrancy says that the Bible is truthful in all that it affirms. And the building on that is the doctrine of authority, which is understanding these are God's words. They're presented without error in the original manuscript. Therefore, it is the authoritative word of God. What the Bible says is true. What it directs should be followed. This is what gives the Bible its incredible, unique characteristics to point us to the person of Christ. There is nothing like the Bible. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This is a living, breathing document that points us to the person of Christ. This is why when we gather for worship each week, the Bible is the centerpiece of our worship time together. That is why we teach from the Bible every week. That's why we give the teaching of the Bible about half of our time that we spend together every week. Because the Bible will point you to the person of Christ. Now, along those lines, it's important that you understand what a sermon really is. Sometimes we call it a message or sometimes we say teaching. It's all, it's all kind of the same. The point is this. A sermon should be God's word presented to our community as a message from a messenger. It's not the opinions or even the authority of whoever is teaching. It is the presented word of God as a messenger. In fact, one of the oldest words for these church leaders would be apostles, which literally means messenger. The goal of the apostles was to bring as a messenger the message of God. That is also our goal of what we're trying to do here on a Sunday bringing as a messenger the word of God. And that's important because if the teacher is just teaching from his heart, then, you know, he's going to say, you know, well, you should do this, you should do that, you should do this, you should do that. Well, let's be honest. Nobody likes to get shit on. Am I right? Right? Instead, he's catching up. Instead, we are all looking together to his truth. We're all standing shoulder to shoulder saying, this is what God has for our church. This is what he has for our community. That's also why we can cover a lot of different subjects. You know, for example, our next series, Trevor told you, it's called It's Complicated. It's a series on relationships. We're going to try to cover as many different relationships as we can. Singleness, married life, parenting, uh, empty nesting, friends, coworkers, siblings, Imagine who the teacher would have to be to speak with authority into every one of those relationships. All right, so the first week, Robert can say, hey, we're going to talk about marriage. I just took my wife on a trip so that I could preach this sermon on marriage. I'm really, you know, I'm the top premier husband around. You should listen to me. All right, cool. Then the next week, he says, listen, we're going to talk about parenting. I'm really one of the best dads around. You should listen to me. I got one kid in college. I got two in high school. I've been doing this for a while. 
okay, fine. Maybe we're, we're probably still buying it. But then the third week, he would have to say, you know, this morning we're going to talk about how to be a good mother, and I'm the best mother that's around. The next week, you know, well, we're going to talk about, you know, how to be single in today's culture. He hasn't been single for 26 years. I mean, I did this once. I once preached a sermon on parenting, and my oldest son was five years old. I kid you not. I was embarrassed, but I did it anyway. Because the teacher should not be teaching from their own authority. It's a message brought to our community from the Bible. He's a messenger. Our next series in November is going to be called Be Rich. We're going to teach on generosity, how to use the resources God has given us to change the world around us. Does that mean your church leaders are experts in generosity? It doesn't. It just means that's what we're going to look for God's message for us. So it's important to know our goal is to be a messenger to bring to our congregation what God is laying on our hearts. There's also one other part about a sermon that I want to talk about. This time that we spend together is a spiritual time. It's a time where we're looking at the Bible and the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts. And I've had a few people tell me, and this is a very nice compliment, and they only mean it in the nicest way. They'll say, hey, you know, I like this church because the sermons here, they're like TED Talks. I love TED Talks. I'm like, you know what? That's a nice thing to say because TED Talks are usually very well done. But this should go so much further than that because it's not a lecture series. This is the spirit working in our hearts as we're examining the Bible together. And it's a spiritual time because it's, it's the spirit that reveals to us what the scripture is saying. Paul wrote it this way in 1 Corinthians. He said, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things. Such a person is not subject to merely human judgments for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him but we have the mind of Christ. It's the spirit that makes this a deeply spiritual and effective time for all of us. So then how can we together maximize this time that we have every week? So in honor of school starting up, you guys get report cards now. They have the responsibilities of the learner. It's listed right on there, right? We're going to talk about for us the responsibilities of the listener. That's you. This is what I would submit to you could be some strategies that you could employ personally every week when we come together to maximize this time so that God can be doing the work that he has for you in your heart. The first one is this, prepare your heart. Did you know you will find more depth and meaning to your worship experience if before you get here in the morning, you take some time to prepare yourself? You know, if you would take a couple of quiet minutes at home to pray, you could do it alone. You could do it as a family. You can get here a couple of minutes early, you know, while the countdown timer is going, prepare your heart. If you will prepare your heart for worship, you will have an awareness of what God is doing. You know, we often pray and sing, especially in the first part of the service, asking God to come and meet us here. That's really for us. God is here, and we need to be made aware that he is here. We need to be reminded that God is here and he's ready to work in our hearts. Two, you can arrive with anticipation. Do you expect God to speak to you while we're having service together? And practically speaking, I have to go there. This is how I'm wired. 
You can't arrive with anticipation if you're late. <laughs> you just can't. It doesn't work. So if you're sort of, you know, blowing in late and then you're bageling and you got your coffee going, all of that actually will hinder being focused and allowing God to work with you in this time. Listen, it doesn't really bother me if you're late. Well, it kind of does. But it should bother you because you're, you're missing an opportunity. Our services are some of the shortest services around. You've got to be here. You've got to be here for the beginning. You've got to be here for the end. You know, they have to be short because the, the teachers are in Kids Quest begging us to finish is mostly why. <laughs> have you seen them? They come out of service down there. They have PTSD. They're like staggering out. Please end the service. So, so you need to arrive with anticipation. Third would be this, engage in the teaching. Now, again, I don't usually teach, so I'm not like begging you for affirmation for me. I'm trying to help you understand how we can really maximize this time. To really engage with the teaching, I personally think you would be best served to take notes. I almost always take notes. I find it a great way to keep my mind engaged with what we're talking about. I find that when I have notes, I can see patterns, I can see what the teacher was doing, I can see it in a deeper level, and I can refer to it later. Also, to engage with teaching, you're going to have to intentionally turn away from distraction. Most of us use the Bible on our phone. I have no criticism for that, but we have to admit, once your phone is out, distractions can come really, really quickly. Do you know how to mute the notifications on your phone? I mean, practical things, you know. I don't know how you Android people do it. I have a smartphone. On my smartphone, I swipe up. <laughs> I push the moon. Yeah, have you ever seen the moon? There's a moon on your phone. Do you know what the moon does? It's do not disturb. Think of that. Do not disturb. You know, and for some of you, I have to pick on you, but again, I won't be here next week to teach, so just, you know. For some of you, you should seriously consider allowing your children to go to Kids Quest for you so that when they're downstairs, they're having a great time in their class, you can be focused on what's happening here. And I know family time is important, but I'm going to tell you straight out, spiritual time is more important than family time. So how can you engage with the teaching? Four, stay connected. Attendance matters. Being here every week is a critical part of us learning together as a faith community. I'll be honest with you, every week when we're preparing what we want to talk about, we always run out of time. We are always racing the clock. We are always cutting things that we didn't get to tell you. And do you know when those things come out? Next week. So I hope that you'll be here most weeks. And the weeks that you can't come, I hope that you'll connect with the podcast or with, you know, what we have online. Because, you know, these series, you know, it's complicated as a relationship series. It's going to take seven weeks to unfold all of it. If you only hear three or four of those talks, you're going to have huge holes in what potentially God was trying to do in your life, in your relationship. So stay connected with what we're talking about. And the last one is this. I would encourage you to find Jesus in every sermon. And here's what I mean by that. All of the scripture points towards the person of Christ. And what can be very easy to do, I have done it. I have done it from here. I've done it more times than I can tell you. What can be very easy to do is you'll find a lesson in the Bible like, don't lie, be truthful. It's a powerful lesson. You know, you find a lesson about be charitable to others. It's a powerful lesson. But it's only half the lesson. Because we are charitable to others because of the amazing generosity that Jesus has shown to us. 
We are truthful to others because of the incredible sense of integrity that Jesus has instilled in us as the perfect man who never lied. All of the scripture points back to him. The law of the Old Testament anticipates Jesus by exposing our hearts, persuading us for our need for a savior. The failures of specific Old Testament characters, their repeated failures of God's people, point to our need for a savior. Promises scattered throughout the Old Testament prophets anticipate Christ by kindling a longing for him that only Jesus can fill. The wisdom literature compels us to look for Christ for meaning, the ability to live wisely. The poetry of the Psalms and prophets sometimes spoke with the voice of Christ himself, anticipating his suffering and his exaltation on the cross. Particular Old Testament offices like prophet, priest, king, they foreshadow Christ's redemptive work that he's going to do in our hearts. Old Testament traditions and feasts, they point to what Jesus was going to do. In the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they show you the, the words of Jesus himself, his life, his death, his resurrection. The epistles are extended sections of teaching theology about how to live out what Jesus taught us. And Revelation points to the future to come when Jesus will come back for his people. It all points to the person of Christ. And we want to find that every time we look into his word. Now, just to be fair, I want to share with you what I would consider to be the responsibilities of the preacher. This is our goal. Just so you know, this is what we're trying to do. Many of them are the same. The first is the same, preparing the heart. We also, we try to prepare our hearts. We pray as we study. We often study together and pray together for what God's message might be for our church. Two, we prepare content with anticipation. I was looking forward to sharing this with you today because I think if we can learn some of these lessons, all of us have opportunities to grow in this area and see more of God's fruit in our life. Three, we always try to teach with engagement in mind. We do our best to have it not be boring. That's why we try to have video clips. That's why we, you know, tell jokes. And listen, I know about Robert's jokes, okay? <laughs> I've been working with him for 17 years, okay? And there's a little bit of progress from time to time on the jokes, Okay, from time, every now and then he'll tell me one to be like, can you tell that? I'm like, no, no, we can't tell that joke. But I have to be honest, I was out to dinner with a friend this summer and he was just kind of checking out the things of faith and he said, you know, I knew Beacon was the church for me when some of the jokes were so inappropriate. I'm like, oh, I guess that was God's message. So we try to do our best to have engagement among all of us. That's why we do, we do texting. We try to do as many crazy things as we can think of to engage you. Every teacher knows what I'm talking about. Four, we also have a commitment to stay committed and stay connected. You know, we attend services every week. For example, I don't think Trevor is in this service now. He was in the last service. I do the same, you know, so you might not see the pastors in your given service. We always attend because we want to stay connected to the message every single week. When we're gone, we always, you know, watch the podcasts and the videos. So Robert will hear these jokes eventually, I promise. And our goal is to teach Jesus in every sermon. And we're still growing in this. But our goal is to mine deeper and find the person of Christ in every single sermon that we teach. And so over this next year and these coming years, these are the types of topics that we will cover together as a church. Remember, our mission is to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. That's our mission. We teach around those four movements of our mission. So in Love God, we talk about things like this, delight and celebration in the Lord, 
you know, how to deal with sin and shame, developing a devotional life, understanding the message of the gospel. We talk about loving people. We're talking about sacrifice, talking about how to love each other, how to be the family that we're created. You know, we, we like to pray our father, but by praying our father, you're saying we are now brothers and sisters. How do we live that out? Grow in Christ. We start to talk about some of the, you know, foundational elements of our faith, understanding things like how to walk in the spirit. What are the five life practices that a, a believer employs? How to grow in areas like fear and trust or peace and anxiety, humility versus pride, idolatry. Then we talk about how to serve the world. We want to be empowered. We want to be sent out on mission. This is what we're going to teach on. This is also all we're going to teach on. It's more focused. I think there's only 30-something topics. We want it to be very focused and intentional on these areas. That's why we're going to be launching discipleship classes. We've already been talking about it. Those will start to go deeper. And so, you know, a discipleship class isn't a sermon, but I want you to understand that this isn't our only learning community. We have in the first year, you'll study things like this if you engage with the discipleship classes. These are going to be great, powerful classes. If you took my old Bible class, now it's in here like, you know, broken up three different ways. There's a lot of other classes. If you took classes with George, a lot of that's in the later years. You know, year two, you'll start to study things like systematic theology of understanding many more doctrines like we talked about this morning, just understanding the God that we worship. Then in our third year, we start to really talk about embodying Christ, understanding, you know, deep issues like the problem of pain and suffering and, and all those types of things that deeply affect our faith. But here's the challenge that I want to leave you with today. For a lot of us, this week feels like New Year's. We're starting to reorganize our lives. And my wife and I, we've been talking about this all month. We want to reorganize our budget a little bit. We want to reorganize our Sunday, our our weekday morning routine, how we're going to, you know, get the kids out the door, when we're going to exercise, um, all these types of things. And I know you are too. You're organizing yourself in a new year if you're in any way connected to the schools. Bring this into that conversation. How can you as an individual or you as a family use our time in worship most effectively? It's a commitment that you're here. I'm glad that you're here. Let's find everything that God has for us in this time. Let's not leave any of it away. Because we're going to continue to talk about the Bible every single week, every time that we gather together, because it's important. I know we probably talk longer than some of the churches that you came out of. You know, some traditions, it's a homily. There's one joke, there's one point, there's one takeaway. You can beat everyone else to the buffet. We want to go deeper than that. I want to bring to you everything that God has for you in this time. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and we're going to spend some more time in worship through singing. The reason that we do this, the reason we often now sing after our time of teaching, is we want to be able to respond to what the Spirit has been doing in our hearts. Remember, this is a spiritual time that we've been examining His Word. So we're going to take some time right now to worship through singing. And then we're going to receive the elements of Holy Communion to be reminded of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. So fully engage with this time. As Jesus has been calling you closer to himself during this, don't allow that time to be lost. So would you stand and we're going to pray together. God, we worship you here this morning. We're so thankful for your word. It's a gift that you've given to us to have such incredible access to who you are and who 
you've revealed yourself to be. We're so thankful. Forgive us for the times when we casually approach your word and instead teach us how we can be growing in pulling every bit of truth that you have for us in your word. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.